also troubled by what members of the party say, such things as, well, you know that Mr. Obama is a Muslim. Well, the correct answer is he is not a Muslim. He's a Christian. He's always been a Christian. But the really right answer is, what if he is? Is there something wrong with being a Muslim in this country? The answer is no, that's not America. Yet I have heard senior members of my own party drop this suggestion. He's a Muslim and he might be associated with terrorists. This is not the way we should be doing it in America. What you will see is an accumulation of facts and disturbing patterns of behavior. The facts and Iraqis' behavior, Iraq's behavior, demonstrate that Saddam Hussein and his regime have made no effort, no effort, to disarm as required by the international community. Indeed, the facts and Iraq's behavior show that Saddam Hussein and his regime are concealing their efforts to produce more weapons of mass destruction. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm Jared Yates Sexton. Nick Houselman is here. He, he's, he's, he's traveled America long and wide, the beautiful, but he is back. And boy, my, are my arms tired. It's, it never gets old, never, ever gets old. Uh, we, we got a ton to talk about today, but uh, before we do, uh, a little bit of breaking news as we are getting ready to record. Uh, Colin Powell died today at the age of 84, uh, died from complications of COVID uh, with an underlying problem of uh, had, a, had a case of blood cancer that exacerbated uh, the, the COVID, even though he was fully vaccinated. 84 years old, uh, former Secretary of State, general, really, really complicated legacy. Um, and and I, I, I think one of the defining characters of uh, the last generation. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think you can tell a pretty good story about where we are in America based on Colin Powell. Uh, but we thought we might uh, sort of unravel that legacy a little bit. Sure. I mean, to give you uh, an idea of like how where I've come and where I've gone and where I've, where I've gotten to at this point in my life, you know, there was a moment where I really felt like I just wanted to give a really big hug to him after what they forced him to do in theory. It's not clear if they forced him to do uh, to, to go in front of the U.N. Uh, in the run up to the Iraq war. Iraq war. Um, I'm, I've gone back and forth a lot, and I'm still not sure, as you mentioned, the complicated legacy. Uh, but that said, that, that is the one like really big stain, and there's a lot of other things on the other side. So I feel like you know the guy uh, deserves you know um, you know as much kudos and respect as we can give him for all the service he did provide us and the leadership that he showed. Um, but you know it's it's not it's not easy to overlook that. Well, first and foremost. There is a, there is an alternate reality out there, right? If if we live in a multiverse where like there's constantly changing opportunities and things that happen, um, there are many alternate realities out there where Colin Powell uh, would have possibly been the first black president of America. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was uh, constantly sort of pinballed around Republican circles as a leader and a statesman um, was. Always with one glaring exception, which we'll get to in a second, uh, not afraid to speak his mind, uh, not afraid to uh, go contrary to political and party orthodoxy. Um, you know, you have to give him credit for uh, a lot of things. Uh, and, and chief among them is the fact that over the past few years, uh, he vocally and uh, relentlessly uh, spoke out against Trumpism. Uh, he said that his own party had uh, moved away from any sort of a reasonable path. Um, you have to tip your cap to him. 
But you also have to realize that this person, Colin Powell, played a pivotal role in not just an illegal war that screwed up this country in ways that we're still dealing with, uh, that moved resources, of course, away from a lot of the human projects that we have to talk about today, but also resulted in the deaths of millions of innocent people. And that is unfortunately in the first paragraph of his obituary, wherever yeah. it's published and whatever it is, uh, his his caring of water for the Bush administration in telling absolute lies to the United Nations and the world community uh, is, is an incredible stain on an otherwise really inspiring uh, laudatory career. And in case people had forgotten, you know, in the run up to the Iraq war, he brought actually a vial of what he called, you know, WMD uh, as anthrax or something like in a little vial and as, as sort of evidence, as if that really was evidence they had somehow found in Iraq of uh, what Saddam Hussein had and what he could do. And that was really, really uh, devastating uh, to any kind of doves in the administration, because if it's if anyone is going to be able to have the kind of uh, credibility that was required, it was Colin Powell. And for whatever reason, he decided uh, with what clearly without the evidence that they, they said they had decided to use his credibility to make that argument. And that's really what's what's so devastating to this is because, you know, most anybody else who might have been like, ah, he's just a general, he's a hawk, he wants war or whatever. But he was the guy who we all probably shrugged a little bit and said, oh, well, if he's going to say that, then there's probably it's probably true. And what's sad about it is that. Powell's entire career was spent burnishing up this reputation for being a straight talker, for not being a mm -hmm. hawk, right? This is a person who said constantly, even though he was a, a general in the armed forces, um, that he didn't want war and that we should avoid it at any and all costs. And building up that reputation and building up that capital is what made his presentation so damning. Uh, you know, you, you had a lot of people around the world who looked at him and said, Colin Powell's not going to go out and tell a bunch of lies about what's going on in Iraq. Um, we now know that he knew that this evidence was probably inaccurate or at mm -hmm. least um, incomplete. He was the person who continually told the administration uh, of the you break it, you buy it policy, which is if you start, you know, muddling around the Middle East and you start overthrowing regimes like you're going to have to deal with some stuff afterwards. He was the voice in the room that constantly when Cheney, Rumsfeld, Wolfowitz, all of these assholes were talking about gallivanting around on a new American crusade. He was the one that told them that we weren't going to be welcomed as liberators. So then there's the question of why did he do it? Why did he go out in front of the world community and do this presentation? Um, he has rationalized it uh, in the past by saying that uh, he needed to be in the room, that he need there needed to be, in a, you know, the, the damned adult in the room that needed to be there as this stuff rolled out. But again, you want to talk about alternate realities. You want to talk about sliding doors, uh, you know, choices not made. There is still a possibility that if Colin Powell would have been tasked with this presentation and would have come out and very publicly resigned rather than carry it out and sounded the alarm that the administration did not have the intelligence that they claimed that they did, um, there's a possibility the Iraq war might not have happened. Uh, you know, I don't know what the number is on that. I don't know what the percentages are on that, but it sure as hell would have been a lot better than him going to the United Nations and telling bold-faced lies. Um, it's a really tragic story. It mm -hmm. truly is. And and his 
his passing during COVID just adds, you know, one last coda to to a, a much larger, much more tragic situation. Right. And you can open that whole thing up to a direct line between that situation and like Trump getting elected. Because that was a lot of the beginnings of the imperial presidency, which, uh, if we don't remember, you know, Cheney was so hell-bent on getting more and more power back installed into the White House after, the, after Watergate. Uh, and all these things kind of lead to a situation now, like, where we're seeing Trump could order civilians not to follow subpoenas, even. You know, that kind of a thing, which uh, just sort of expands the, the, the entire... Um, uh, failure of our democracy. Oh, by the way, you know, we're not supposed to call it democracy anymore, Jared. We don't have a democracy. We have a, what are we calling it? A republic, a, uh, they call it a something republic. A, uh, a democratic republic. Yeah, or whatever. Uh, and uh, and I find that hilarious now as like, everyone wants to argue that this isn't democracy and everyone's like, well, we don't have it anyway. The, the right do that. So. Yeah, they're, they're, they're so much fun, I got to tell you. I, I and I, I have to tell you, I think I completely agree with you. I think there's a through line from not just the Iraq war, but from what the Republican Party was while Colin Powell was part of it. And, you know, one of the reasons why he never did emerge or float up towards the top of the major candidates he was always bandied around is because the Republican Party has had white supremacist roots in the modern era. Um, and he continued to go out there and serve as sort of a reluctant face of them in spite of how they treated people and in spite of how they carried out their politics. It's really awful. It yeah. truly is. Um, and, and, you know, this is, uh, again, I, I can't help but think that Colin Powell is one of the definitive stories of modern America. And, and to watch how sideways this thing got, despite... Best intentions. You know what I mean? Like we talk a lot about people who have bad intentions. We talk a lot about people who do this for uh, power and wealth and prestige. Uh, and, and they get into this in order to muck it up. Uh, by the way, we're going to talk about Joe Manchin here in a minute. That's just a, a quick little segue there. But, um, you know, Colin Powell, based on everyone that I've ever talked to who's been in the room with him, everything that I've ever read about him, had good intentions. And it turned out, despite his best intentions, he still played a really terrible role that led to incredibly tragic consequences here and around the world. And I think that is, uh, again, I, I, I think that's the first paragraph of the obituary. And, and you can't help but think that the, his penance after that was to sort of be out in front of a lot of these things. I mean, what's going around now on Twitter a lot is his interaction on um, Meet the Press, I think it was, just, you know, lamenting uh, when Obama was running for president, how he was being accused of being a Muslim and how that was, as if that was a bad thing. And uh, really just terrific words and a really well uh, orated point uh, about why why not? What is wrong with somebody who's an American who's also a Muslim? Like, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. And we had him and McCain, you know, being like the way out in front of, of what what should have been an easy uh, explanation uh, for the Republican Party. So uh, it, it partly out of that black stain uh, emerged a guy who, do, while doing it as a penance, uh, you know, did the right thing and, and was able to hopefully lead a little bit more on that front and maybe move some people. But again, the, the through line is there without question to where we are now. It absolutely is. And, you know, I had already mentioned people with bad intentions. And, of course, we have to talk about uh, Senator Joe Manchin III on that regard. But I will say very, very quickly, you don't have the Iraq War. You don't have the trillions spent in Afghanistan and in Iraq. We're not having necessarily the conversations that we're about ready to have, which is about a senator who is held up 
uh, a, a legislative agenda and who is now basically ruling by fiat more or less mm-hmm. i mean has has completely taken over this thing um you do not have the massive deficits that were used to go over and plunder resources and kill civilians and just you know destabilize basically everything and and eventually lead to the war coming home but unfortunately and, and by the way nick i don't know about you i'm sick as hell of talking about joe manchin well i i I resent that we have to talk about him okay well can i can we can we go one more tangent on to uh uh, to um apollo for one second before i forget which is you know it's not that long ago that the right was denying covid deaths right they were saying well they're just already going to die from something else that's not going to be covid but I find it very interesting that uh, Colin Powell's death, having been vaccinated, is definitely a you know a death after of, from COVID after getting vaccinated versus the major underlying health issues that he had, and I, I suspect he probably had more than just what he was dealing with with the cancer. So um, that is uh, really fascinating to see Fox News starting to really wring their hands over this and, and kind of uh, pitch more of this vaccine denial, uh, having you know been doubting the numbers and the vaccine. Seen, uh, the uh, COVID deaths before this anyway. Yeah, and, and real fast before we move on to the mansion situation, I, I, you know, we keep telling people the GOP is not a principled organization. You know, it's it's whatever helps at the moment, whatever the cudgel is. I'm, I'm starting to see a lot of appeals about that, which are Joe Biden can't even deal with COVID. Look at all the COVID cases. Look at all the COVID deaths. He can't even get people on the same page. It doesn't matter. It, yeah. it, it is not a principled across board idea. It's it's whatever gains power and whatever gains profit. Yeah, but, but they're also look how bad the economy is. Look how bad unemployment is when, in fact, they've gotten to below 5 percent out of this terrible recession that we had. Um, you know, it's again, it's the horse race we've talked about. It, it's a little cliche. And I'm like, OK, the, the press needs to have, you know, the good guy and the bad guy. And they, they have to rotate, um, you know, but we're getting to just complete and utter dishonesty. We are. And, and, you know, that's the thing that is really frustrating. And we've talked about this before in the past. You know, Colin Powell, like his his status for the longest time was this was a person who actually had principles. You know, he actually had he actually had a vision of how the world was supposed to work. Uh, If that stayed within Republican orthodoxy, it stayed within orthodoxy. If it didn't, it didn't. You know, and we've now reached this point where. That is all gone. You know, you brought up McCain. It's like Powell and McCain were just swept away. Mm-hmm. After, you know, after after 2012, of course, where, uh, you know, Obama won his uh, reelection, we, we reached a point where, like, any Republicans who had any sort of principles needed to get out of the way in order to create this new group that is, is currently sort of holding sway. And And on top of that, like, it's not just Republicans, and that's the terrible part of this. Joe Manchin, who who is, again, holding up a legislative agenda, is going to cost people lives, could very well be contributing right now to the coming climate catastrophe in a way that hardly any other one human being is besides himself. Uh, It's not about principles. It's not about some sort of, you know, budget hawk. You know, it's not like he's worried about deficits. We have a person who, again, much like the Republican Party, and he should be a Republican, Let's go ahead and state that outright. Joe Manchin should be a Republican. Um, it, it is coming out here and pushing his own agenda, which has absolutely nothing to do with anything besides serving the wealthy and the powerful, uh, uh, you know, lobbies that own him, that buy and sell him, and also making sure that you know 
people don't get used to the government funding projects that help anybody because my god can you imagine if we started expecting our government to actually do things for us i mean my god cats dogs living together at that point oh well you know he came out with at least you know compared to like cinema he came out with some very specific things he wants cut now the problem we have with this is that he wants the whole like clean energy part of this reconciliation bill just removed and because he he has a business where he makes money off of coal and his son, they have this business where they make millions of dollars off of this. And clearly, this would be a direct threat to that. And it just doesn't make sense that these guys are in charge of passing laws when they're so knee-deep in their own businesses without it being in blind trust or whatever, which is also bullshit as it is anyway. Um, then, I, I, like, as if that wasn't enough red meat to throw to the right that, you know, has to vote for him to keep him in power... He pulls a welfare queen thing with the uh, with a need to work, uh, a really stringent need to work for any kind of benefits that people get, um, you know, over sixty thousand dollars a year. Which I had said to you earlier in a, in a DM was, you know, we have to understand that this is a huge country, and sixty thousand dollars a year goes a long way in different areas. So I, you know, but but in, in the, I would say at least half of the states it doesn't. And he is in one of those states where no, I would it is say more than half. You I think would more, say than half? more than half? I got to look at some of the numbers, but it's you know there are places where it's cheap to live. I don't want to like you know downplay that at all. But again, um, this notion that um, that you know people are working, unemployment is is historically low. We you know under the, anything under five percent is amazing. We should be rejoicing, and yet they're trying to you know slam Biden for that. But it's not like we have a wave of unemployed people who want to just sit there and take their measly handout that's going to, you know, that, that they think is going to keep them in their houses and not work. Again, this is the Republican thing that we've heard since Reagan. Um, and he pulls that one out of the bag, uh, just, I think, reveals everything about where he sits and what he's really trying to do. No, absolutely. And there's so much to unpack there. Um, so <laughs> yeah. first and first and foremost, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, Joe Manchin, is, his entire wealth is based on the coal industry. And right now he can claim that it's, you know, being in a blind trust or being taken care of by his kid. Um, I, I, I actually, you know, I'm so pissed off about this Manchin thing today. I'm going to throw out some wild stuff. All so right. first off, we, we got to get money out of politics. We got to like like there has to be a movement that that goes ahead and gets special interest money out of politics and makes it possible for regular people to run for office. That is the background. One of the most Im important parts of this. Second of all, if you get elected to a to a position such as senator or representative, you should have to sell off any business that you have. You should not have a stake in anything at that point that could possibly interfere with your ability to govern and help everybody else three and this is i'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead i'm going to put a big chip on the table all right so i'll, I'll say this Coal, I, I get it that the coal industry is terrified of the idea of going towards clean energy and that there are places around the country that are very, very worried about what happens when old, dirty energy starts, you know, fading away. Mm -hmm. I get that. And listen, I, I, I know that there is a financial incentive there. What has to happen at this point? is either there has to be some sort of willing transformation, because I have to tell you, the coal, there's only so much of it in the ground. There's only so much of it that is going to continue to be done. And on top of that, those jobs suck. 
You know what I mean? Like I, I, I have people in my family, people I care about who go in the ground and who are absolutely destroyed and, and mortgage off decades of their lives. So at this point, you either have to make them willing to make the transfer over to clean energy and that they will be the centers of the new economy or you need to go in and you need to nationalize energy. And you need to say, you know what, this is a matter of national security. This is a matter of America being able to do something for the future. And let's take our money and let's buy these people out. Let's go ahead. Let's buy up these industries. Let's buy up these places where we're getting the coal. And let's figure this shit out so we can actually make some sort of a direction. And listen, I know that that is... Right now, people are listening to this podcast and some hair on the back of their neck just went up a little bit. I get it. But we're tiptoeing up on the line. He killed a $150 billion clean electricity program for no other reason than the fact that his money was at stake and his financial future was at stake. And the people that he represents, their financial future, we can't have that. Like we are going to end up in a climate apocalypse if we keep uh, keep messing around with this shit. Right. It, we, it's time to do something. Right, 150 billion out of a three and a half trillion dollar package. You know what I mean? Like that's why it doesn't even really affect the bottom line uh, when you're looking at what you want to cut. Um, anyway, so you're, I mean, listen, nationalizing our energy certainly would then allow us to put in, you know, better uh, controls on, on environmental protections and things like that, which is, you know, interesting, very provocative. Um, you know, that's not, that's not, that's not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you and I need to form a Soviet and go in, you know, and occupy the coal mine. Like I'm not about making people right. And you want to talk about the coal industry. There are people in the coal industry who see the light at the end of the tunnel and they know there's only so long that they can make money. Give them money. Just, just buy them out. Say, congratulations, you're now retired. Oh, do you want stocks in the new green energy coming? Absolutely, we'll get you some stocks. Absolutely, we'll make you invested in it. You have so much money to get made. But it's time to do something bold because assholes like Mansion are not going to even let the beginnings of a solution get realized right. at this point. Well, the worst part about it is that the, the Green New Deal creates more jobs than anything that you would create for out of coal mining. You no. know, I, I told you this before. I, I feel like any any politician that goes into those kind of towns or even goes to like Michigan into where they, you know they're manufacturing cities and they they make these promises that we're going to bring the factories back. And I, I said this in the past, if anybody would while they're running would say that they should be instantly disqualified because it's the oh. biggest lie of all time. And the people who have no hope at all, like get excited about that and want to vote for those people, no matter even though it's the biggest boldface ridiculousness, those jobs are not coming back. And it's kind of like the the uh, the climate itself. We talked about this before we had our, our guest about talking about climate, which is these solutions that we want to do for our climate merely delay the apocalypse. Yep. We're not going to reverse it. At some point in this life, this timeline, the world is going to like basically come to an end. It could be 500 or, years if, from now or if it delay okay, if it delays it it does more than most of the of of our, you know, yeah. quote unquote solutions do. For the most part, it just makes people feel a little bit better about it. Oh, don't worry, we got a conference next month. We'll sit here and we'll set some goal, right? That no one's gonna meet and the next president will just get rid of. You're exactly right. It's not solving anything at all. Right. 
And so as a result, it's a little bit like this where, okay, we all know what's happening with the coal industry, but we need to milk it for just a little bit longer because again, uh, it's going to end. But it's, it's an interesting thing because you would think America or Americans and ingenuity and all those, those values that we thought we had would, would value the notion of we got to pivot to something else and we're going to like, you know, find a new whole new industry to build out of the ashes of what's clearly failing. It's like you wouldn't start a DVD company today like that would be silly. And But then again, even in like 2005, if you hadn't seen then that you better get out of this business pretty damn quick, like we I you you would be in real big trouble. Newspapers, newspapers all delay the notion of going online and doing subscription based services. And look at what we have now. We have a completely desk decimated uh, you know, newspaper uh, climate across the entire country. The writing sucks. The, you know, the principles suck. The journalism standards are so low now. Um, it's like it's all related. It's all like this lack of ingenuity, lack of forward thinking, lack of progression that people don't want to seem to move towards. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you this. I've, I've, again, I know my fair share of coal miners. A large part of the appeal to keep factories or coal mines going is within identity. Right. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like you were saying, like nobody associates DVDs with some form of masculinity. You know what I mean? It's not <laughs> right. like, oh, man, this, you know, this laser disc, it shows how tough I am, you know. But like that's what coal wow. mining has done because the psychology at the heart of it is it's like people who are miserable in these jobs have to rationalize why they want to be in it. And it becomes part of their heritage. I. My, my dad was a coal miner. I'm a coal miner. My kid's going to be a coal miner. And it's part of this like, like lineage. And it, it doesn't, it, it's not going to work. I mean, well, it's, it's literally insane. Like, well, and I mean that not in the uh, pejorative way, but I mean, it's, it's an actual thing of insanity that in 2021 AD that we're sitting here having this conversation about a dying industry such as coal holding hostage any solution of climate change or developing something new and innovative like that that makes no rational sense whatsoever well i want to say the hollywood version of that is that you know the coal miner wants his sons a better life i'm working so you can get out of here but then i'm thinking about I think it's uh, I think it's Zoolander, where you have Walken and uh, and uh, some uh, who is it as the brother or something like of Zoolander, uh, you know, working in the coal mine, wanting to come back. I think, but uh, I you know as as a grandkid of an immigrant, you know, uh, that's just an interesting take because your your you know heritage is a lot different than mine. So mine was always like, we want a better life for you and you need to be, I don't want you to work in the store that my dad worked in and you know, you're gonna become a doctor and lawyer. We're, I think we're, we've, that doesn't, I guess, exist in certain parts of the country is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I think that that has pretty much been squeezed out in certain ways. I actually think there's a generational shift that has happened because of, I, I know this is gonna shock everybody, but Ronald Reagan's era has something to do with this, which is at some point or another, I think that capitalism or hyper-capitalism starts to corrode us. And, and you know, it, it turns into a thing where it's like, how dare you think you deserve better? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. As the family unit starts to get squeezed, what actually ends up happening is in the past it was like, oh, here we are. This is our small little group and we're all here for each other and we want this. And eventually over time, because capitalism infects everything, it ends up making you a competitor of someone in your own family. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you start to resent their success. You start to see them as turning their back on it. And there is... 
there is a certain sort of a thing, you know, the phrase dying of whiteness has been bandied around a little bit over the past few years, but I think it's true, which is white Americans, because of the way the economies worked and societies worked and demographics have changed, a lot of them have reached a point where they're like, yeah, screw everything. Let the world burn. I don't care anymore. If I'm, if I'm not going to have like, you know, white supremacy anymore, or if I can't even engage in like casual racism and casual sexism, absolutely. Let, let the climate apocalypse come. I don't even give a shit. Right. It's a very weird multi-level thing, but I think that's what mansion represents to a certain extent. Uh, and then, then at the same token, uh, I'm not going to wear a mask. Sure. What's, what's the point? Right. And then you throw these, these sprinkles on about like, look at Colin Powell. He got the vaccine, died anyway. What, what you know, um, oh. I, I happened to wander down a, an ugly rabbit hole on Twitter the other day, um, looking at some responses to some tweets. Um, it's the, the anti-mask thing is so is still so prevalent and so strong as far as like they don't work. Like whoever was able to get out there and pretend that there's some sort of science behind the fact that like that can prove that masks don't work, that person needs to be like, I guess you can't arrest that person, but like that's how serious it was because they're clinging to that one. Um, but either way, it, you're, it's interesting. You're right. You get to a certain point where all these things, you know, uh, fill in your head and it becomes futile. Like it doesn't feel like there's any work, any purpose to a lot of this stuff. So why do any of it? I'm not part of this community and we can't get better anyway. Well, and let's go ahead and let's loop in this child income credit thing that we're talking about with Manchin as well. And and I got to I'm going to read this quote. Um, I, I basically this is seared into my brain at this point. Um, Manchin, of course, who has never met a means test that he doesn't love, uh, has said that in order to go ahead and pass this child income credit, like we were saying, he wants to get to the point where it's down to a $60,000 combined income limit. And, um, you know, like, like you were saying, in some places that goes a little ways, right? Like, and, and, you know, maybe there will be people who are making minimum wage who possibly could do this. And, and for the record, a lot of those people, as I've said before, they're not going to know how to get that credit. They're not going to know how to apply for it. Why? Because they are intentionally kept out of the apparatuses that make sure that the government can help them. So it's not just about limiting the amount. It's about limiting the people who are even going to apply to it in the first place. But Manchin said... He, he was talking to Dana Bash and he said that he really wants to, uh, you know, help the children, but he wants to make sure it gets to the right people. He says there's no work requirements whatsoever. There's no education requirements whatsoever for better skill sets, which, by the way, fuck you, Joe Manchin. Don't you think if we're going to help the children that the people should make some effort? And you want to talk about what you were just saying about people who lose hope. How is it possible watching someone like Manchin? watching what's happening in current politics to continue to get kicked in the teeth over and over and over again to not lose hope. And, you know, one of the things we like to do, we like to diagnose this stuff, put it in context, but we also like to talk about where there are possibilities so that we can imagine a better, realer, more human world. But, I mean, my God, after a while, you get tired of getting beat. You know what I mean? Like, what he is pushing here and what he is saying here is so insulting 
and so cruel. Well, by the way, he probably, while he said that, he was getting ready to go vote in order to, like, I don't know, send four or five trillion dollars towards a failed new jet program or buy a new aircraft carrier for 13 to 14 billion dollars that we don't need. But to continually be told that, insulted, and just pushed around and forgotten and basically have your face rubbed in the dirt, it takes a toll. You know what I mean? It really does. But we, we have to be aware of who he's talking to when he says these things. He's definitely not talking to anybody that is struggling and working 80-hour weeks just to barely make ends meet and without getting you know kicked out of their, their, their houses, right? Those are the people who would really benefit from this bill. Yes. He's not talking to them at all because he's imagining, I suppose, you know, as this really as as wealthy people do, would uh, yep. you know, this whole class of people. But like again, like I mentioned, you know, unemployment is low. People are working. They're out there trying to make ends meet here. This isn't a society of freeloaders. And that's what he's describing, basically. And, An and, entitlement society. Right. And somehow, it must be the way, you know, Virginia is, is set up, that he can afford to alienate a lot of those voters, or they must not be voters. And he can't afford to alienate the richer voters and the white people who want to make sure they can look down their noses at people who have to work so hard. And again, clearly, if you're that poor, then that's because you're not working hard enough. Uh, that That is the issue. We We've talked about this before really quickly, you know, the, the benefits that, that people have gotten in through COVID um, from the government directly has been generational as far as changing some of their plights just be, for, by having a month to breathe. Um, and here is this asshole who's like just shitting on everybody like that. And it's a, it's remarkable, truly remarkable that he thinks he can win another election in 2024 saying this kind of stuff. And you know what? He's probably more right than wrong. Well, and I'll tell you, as someone who comes from a poor background, here is the mindset that happens with all of that. Everybody else is lazy. Oh, yeah, right. Shit. I'm working my ass off, and I'm not getting ahead. And you know what? I would get ahead, and my government would help me if it wasn't for all of these lazy assholes around me who Free don't loading. want to carry the weight. Yeah. And so what ends up happening, and I have to tell you, I have a lot of people in my family who are like this right now, and, and you're exactly right. They're working 70 to 80 hours a week. That's right. Two careers. They're working the equivalent of two jobs within one. I have people in my family right now who go three months without a day off. And I'm not exaggerating. Mm. That's not ta over talking. I'm talking about literally three months without a single day off. And why? Because they have been taught to think that everybody else is lazy. And so they're not going to work with other people. They're not going to build solidarity. And I have to tell you, one of the things that gives me hope right now, it's not just the, 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 you know, the big resignation, right? The great resignation. It's the fact that we're seeing labor disruptions at, 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 a, at, a, at a size and a scope and a frequency that we haven't seen in a very long time. We're seeing people who say, you know what? I'm tired of being treated like shit at my job. And that is a big thing. And I want to talk about that for a, a quick second. I had somebody the other day, they said to me, why do you think people are leaving their jobs right now? And, you know, all of the, the extended, uh, uh, you know, social safety nets that happened during COVID, like they're gone. Like, it's not like they're getting paid that. COVID revealed that these people don't care about them at 
all. They threw them into the pandemic. They didn't take care of them. They didn't make sure that they were safe because all of the businesses in this country have turned into scam grifter businesses. If you buy a McDonald's franchise, you don't care about how the food tastes. You don't care that people have a good experience. You want to get people in and out as quickly as possible. It's a factory. Go, go, go. You don't care about who works there. You don't care about how anything goes. And so as a result, people say, I would rather starve than put up with this shit anymore. I would rather be on employment. I would rather uh, be looked down upon. I would rather worry about how I'm going to live in my house anymore besides take this abuse anymore. And, and I want to talk about the history of it here in a second, but it's not a surprise that the pandemic has unleashed this. It makes you reconsider who you are and what the world is and how you go through it. Oh, I know. And, you know, this this month is being dubbed Striketober. And if you can indulge me, Jared, I have a list of the number of strikes that are going on right now. I love it. Do it. Just I, I want to sit here and just bathe in it. Give it to me. All right. So Deerhoff, um, Deerhoof strike. Uh, over on Twitter had posted this as either ongoing and potential strikes. 10,000 John Deere UAW workers and UAW has been Get stuck. It, John Deere. Yeah, they, they've been stuck in this endless cycle of having to do this and never getting great deals. 60,000 film and TV IATSE workers, which is really interesting because that shuts down uh, Hollywood. Um, Good work. 37,000 Kaiser workers, which is huge because of healthcare. Thousands of Fuck grad Kaiser. students. Thousands of grad students at Harvard, Columbia, and Illinois University, and 20,000 uh, Cal State University faculty members. 2,000 Buffalo hospital workers. By the way, time out. I want, I want to put my chip down on this. There is not an academic worker in this country that mm. shouldn't consider a mass strike right now. Right. It's time for that to happen. And, and I hope and I pray that they have divided us and they've made us feel powerless. There should be mass action across higher, uh, higher education, but that's neither here nor there. We got more. 2,000 Washington carpenters, 2,000 telecom Good. workers in California, 1,400 Kellogg's workers in, in uh, Michigan, uh, Nebraska, whatever, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, uh, 1,000 Alabama miners, 700 Ma uh, Massachusetts nurses, and then 450 Good. West Virginia steel workers, 420 Good. Kentucky whiskey workers, Good. 400 hospital workers in Oregon, Good. 350 hospital workers in California, yes. 350 Denver janitors, 300 LA aerospace, aerospace manufacturers, 200 yes. Reno bus drivers, 100 uh, Pennsylvania teachers, 75 San Antonio Symphony musicians. Yes. There's a Chipotle strike uh, uh, in Roll New York based on Hurricane Ida. Uh, and also in Buffalo. So um, it's it's just kind of like all over the country. Good. And, you know, the other thing is, is you know, the, the restaurants and all these uh, restaurant owners who are crying about how they can't get people to come back and work. And it's the same thing you were mentioning. They'd rather sit at home and somehow figure something out uh, rather than risk their lives and getting paid, you know, a dollar an hour. Uh, this is finally maybe a reckoning, a reckoning and there will be a correction. I mean, there's going to be a correction, at least in the service industry, where they will have to pay people more and it'll just be simply be more expensive for people to eat at those places or stay at those hotels. Uh, that is the, the cost of doing business. And I don't think anyone's going to mind if it costs another dollar extra for the internet and another $2 a night for this to cover those extra costs. It's all it is when talking about some of these bigger businesses. And like, it's ridiculous that they're, they can't figure that one out quicker. I want to I want to give the history behind this. But before I do, just a little cheat sheet for everybody listening at home. Number one, if you get frustrated at the grocery store waiting in line or at the drive through, remember that that is a small price to pay. 
for mm-hmm. people being treated like human beings. And eventually they could come around full circle and make sure that you make more money and that you get more things. Remember that it's not the people working there's fault. It is the employer. Number two, you always almost always make more money when you leave your job and go to the next one. That is a secret that rich people have been aware of for a very long time. Another quick piece of advice that rich people knew, I didn't know this for a very long time, Nick, and I still feel weird about it. You absolutely should leverage one employer against another. If you work in the service industry, and and by the way, drive down any street in the nation right now and you'll see oh they need work they need work they need work go from one to the next and say oh that sounds great i would love to be on the grill how much are you offering well guess what arby's is offering because mm. i'll and go into that interview and when he's like when can you start be like well actually i'm going to go down here to the kfc and see what they're talking about and they hate it they don't want <laughs> you to do that it's their worst nightmare finally before we get to the history of it Nothing is going to change unless we keep doing this. Nothing is going to change unless we finally put our foot down and say this is bullshit. And one of the reasons that we're finally ready to say that this is bullshit, and I want to take us back to the 14th century with the Black Death. And of course, Black Death runs through Europe and Africa. It kills upwards of 200 million people. And the Black Death, when this happens, it's one of the main things that moves us from a feudal society into a liberalized capitalistic society because everybody lived on these you know uh, uh, feudal areas in which they were lorded over and eventually as people kept dropping their labor was worth more right so they could go from one person to another compare wages compare benefits all of that and eventually they were like what are you going to do send a knight after me i'm going to the city i'm going to see what's happening out there because you sure shit don't know what's going on We are due for a correction. And it was an intentional thing in this country. And it happened on all fronts, by the way. Everybody has blame for this. The Republican Party specifically, but the Democratic Party rolled over and betrayed unions and solidarity later on. We've talked about that in depth. There is a correction coming in which there is going to be a labor problem in this country that is developing. And once it does, wages have to go up. They've been stunted for decades now, and that power has to move. And almost always after a pandemic, we see those corrections come and we see them hit hard. So we have to take advantage of it right now. And the more that we realize that we have power through solidarity, it's addictive. Once you realize you can change things by working with other people and forming these alliances together, you realize you can change a whole hell of a lot. Um, I agree. You know, it's interesting to me as well out of that is is the college route. You know, for a long, long time in the country, you you know, you work really hard, you go to college, and that sort of guaranteed a nice life where you can actually make money, right? Is it would you is it safe to say that's not so much a guarantee anymore? As an academic, I have to tell you, Nick, I have a lot to say on this subject, <laughs> and I will say that higher education uh, becoming a basis for our economy has been turned into not just a boondoggle, but a scam uh, of the size that we, we rarely see. I don't want to get in trouble, so we don't have to expand too oh, much no, on... I don't give a shit. I, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm to the point I don't care. Let's okay. do it. All right. I, I looked up while you were talking the amount of people who um, you know went to college 
percentages since 1965 till now. And obviously, there's a pretty big growth there. Obviously, there's a growth in the population, too. But this looks like this is outpacing that. And so the other thing, though, is, you know, having going through it right now with my daughter and trying to apply to all these different colleges is that it's much easier to apply to colleges now than it was back then. You, you had to, you know, literally put a uh, application into a typewriter and like somehow line up and get the margins right. I remember doing this, right? And then if you, God forbid you you had a, a typo and you had to like get the white out and, and, and fix it. So, You're telling on yourself now. I know, That's what I know. That's how it was like. And you, you couldn't just like write one application and then just blast it out to 12 colleges like you can now. As a result, and people want to push back on this argument and you feel free to do this as well, but the notion that colleges have now been inundated much more, much more with applications um, and more and more people who want to come to college, I think maybe lessens the value of that degree. There's right. just so many more people now when necessarily the economy doesn't, isn't able to absorb as many who all have the same qualifications that we might have had 25 years ago and, and were successful with that, that education. I mean, we don't have to get into the whole thing of like whether or not we actually learn anything actionable in college. Um, wow. Because I've been reflecting on that. And like, I'm like, I didn't learn anything that I need now really from college, except for the fact that I was a basketball manager and learned how to coach. But that was a very specialized thing. Nothing in the actual classroom. Um, I guarantee that you did. I, I, I'm so sorry to pop the brakes. I guarantee you that you learned something that isn't in the forefront of your brain. That, that like, So for instance, like I'll teach a creative writing class and I tell people, you're not just in here to learn poetry. You're in here to take consideration of how to craft narratives. You're in here to understand how to write in a more compelling way. I guarantee you there's stuff you learned no. in college you that did, is. <laughs> you, did you rehearse that? <laughs> no, no I, it's true. I Listen, I got... Uh, uh, Okay, listen, this is a conversation for another day to get into in totality. But I want to go ahead and give the history of this a little bit. After World War II, we start having the GI Bill, which of course starts paying for education. You start seeing people come back and they start going to college, right? The mm -hmm. government starts paying for them to go to college. It becomes a regular thing for people to go to college. As the economy grows, as technology grows, and, and this is what college has always been about from the very beginning, from the moment that the university uh, opened up in medieval Europe, right? Like this is what it's always been about. It's about taking, it used to be about taking wealthy people and teaching them how to administer politics and how to administer in cities and all of this stuff. What college is now is where you go to learn basically how to join the administrative class in America currently. Um, it is a strange situation that has happened because particularly with uh, neoliberalism, with the democratic embrace of, of hypercapitalism and with globalism, uh, there was the decision that America was all going to go into the middle class. You know, we weren't going to have working class people anymore. We weren't going to have industry. We we're going to ship those things elsewhere. And basically, we were going to serve as administrators of empire and also continued economic uh, thinking systems growth and communications. Well, guess who uh, decided that was going to be a great time to jack up, you know, all kinds of, of fees and prices and, and, and all that? Colleges. They totally ripped everybody off and they, they started charging exorbitant fees because everybody had to pay debt in order to play a role in the economy. And, and, and that, that, by the way, took the place of everything from training in businesses. Businesses don't train that much anymore. They, they more or less sort of offload that into colleges. Meanwhile, you pay uh, an arm, a leg, and a foot, and the other foot, uh, I certainly did, 
I, I had to pay a certain amount of money in order to try and climb up the ladder in terms of class. And everything that we're talking about right now is part of what was supposed to be the deal. Supposedly in America, if you worked hard, if you were willing to go a little bit in debt, if you were willing to you know, study and put in your time, you were going to find yourself in a place where you were going to get a job that was going to pay the bills and maybe you could even do better than your parents had done and maybe you could have kids. Well, guess what? You can't have kids anymore, basically, because you can't afford them. Uh, if you do have kids, you can't really go get a job because you can't put them in daycare. You can't, you know, that's basically a mortgage in and of itself. Uh, and by the way, good luck getting a mortgage. Good luck buying a house right now. Like, if you buy a house, you're good for pretty much ever because you're just going to continue turn that, turning that into, into wealth. But now all the houses are being bought up by uh, hedge fund capital and algorithms that, you know, they never step foot in the house. Mm -hmm. So basically that deal that we're talking about, it doesn't exist anymore. It's been hollowed out to the point where now we have, you know, again, Joe Manchin talking about $60,000 and a tax income credit. And we've gotten to the point where people are look at this and they say, there's nothing in it for me. There's no reason for me to go and punch the clock. I'm not going to make enough money. I'm drowning in debt. How am I ever going to pay off my debt? So, you know what? Screw off. I'm going to go stand in this picket line. I'm, I'm just simply not going to work. I'm going to say, hasta la vista, I'm done here. Mm -hmm. And so that deal has been totally corrupted. It was never real to begin with, but it has been exposed as a complete and utter fraud. I, uh, I, I concur. Uh, and that's a great way of putting it, uh, especially in the historical context. Uh, I, and I just feel like... You know, I mean, listen, of course, I'm being hyperbolic, but like, you know, just looking at the curriculum, just if you want to get really specific for a minute there, it's like no one, none of these colleges talk about social media and how you are supposed oh, to do you do. I, 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 there isn't the class like, you know, and obviously I'm biased because I'm a YouTuber, but like, like how are they, how is there not at least like one semester of a class that's going to teach you all about social uh, uh, SEO, um, social engine optimization, uh, social uh Gosh, SEM, which is marketing uh, of, of social media. I, I, it's just mind boggling that they're not giving actionable kind of um, training for those kind of things. Because I can guarantee you every job that you take going forward from now will have to rely on some knowledge of how to build off on social media. But I, but I will say this, and, and there are classes like that. I mean, that, those things exist, right? But there is a problem in this country, and this goes back to everything that we're talking about in terms of, you know, the, the great resignation and, and this strike situation. So let's even go back into public education. Let's go back to high school, right? Like, you know how there used to be, like, they called it home economics, obviously. You learn how to, like, balance your checkbook. Mm -hmm. Guess what you don't learn in high school, in public high school? How to invest money. You don't learn how to fill out forms. You don't learn how to dodge certain taxes, right? There are right. certain things that you're only going to learn in either a private school or because your family has money. Like I, I've said this before on the podcast, like I grew up in a working class family. Like we didn't understand money. We just understood that you get money and then you just go ahead and spend it. Don't worry about it. You don't need to keep it. You don't need to do anything with it. You get into college. Why would you want to teach every student things like social media? Because then they're not going to take it and use it on their jobs. They're going to um. use it for their own optimization or their own establishment. All of education in this country is focused on making sure that you're going to go to your job and you're going to stay at that job. You're, you have so much debt that you need to pay off, you could never possibly leave. And on top of that, 
your healthcare is always tied to that job. So as a result, you're not going to walk out, right? Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the people who are walking out, they don't care about healthcare or they don't have healthcare. I mean, what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to die early? Well, that's what I'm doing anyway by working all these hours. The entire purpose of public education and the school to employment pipeline is to make sure you stay at your job, you don't question your employers, and you just continue churning the same wheel of capitalism that we keep talking about. Yeah, I think I'm going to go on strike, Jared. You've, you've inspired I me. Would, listen, from you this, and from I... From the podcast, I'm striking until I get better working conditions. If you went on strike, that would make me the man in this relationship. Like mm -hmm. I would be the, the capital T, capital M, and I refuse. I will not oppress you. I will not exploit you. <laughs> not take that we, we, we now have to we now have to find a mediator. If you want to form a union, I'm all for that. But all joking aside, if you can't pay your employees, if you can't provide them benefits, if they're walking off the job on Moss, you've done something wrong. Like right. you have failed if you can't afford to provide for those people. And if you can't treat them like human beings, you shouldn't have a business. Right. And my God, I hope your business shutters. But don't forget, the right will say these regulations are killing my business. And why? Because you're supposed to pay your workers a fair wage. You're supposed to actually offer them Every some sort of health care. Like you're supposed to do the things that you're talking about that everybody really wants. And yet, uh, that that to them, it's kind of like it's it's it, it makes sense how they can picture people sitting on their couches in mass all day long, just collecting checks and buying TVs, right? Like that's what there must be their images of them. Uh, and they also picture, oh, there's more regulations. It will put me out of business because uh, I can't afford to do all these things. When in fact, that's what business is. You know, when you are, you know place in situations where there are costs of doing business, you now need to figure out how to run this business so you can afford those things or you're no longer in business. It's not the fault of anybody else's. And uh, and yet that's where they live in. And that makes sense. If finally, I can at least put together a couple of ideas that the right has that 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 fit together nicely. Those two things. Um, they're, they're despicable and horrible, but at least it makes sense. It, it, it does. And, you know, I think it's something I, I, I don't think Republicans are the right understand this as well. Um, they're really bad at understanding trends in technology. They don't understand. They don't understand epochs. They don't understand that there are moments where things change. Right. Because right. conservatism is about, well, that's how things have always been. Leave it alone. Matter of fact, let's even rewind time a little bit. You know, one of the ways that people right now are leaving their full time jobs and, and they're able to subsist is because they're 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 driving Ubers, they're working for DoorDash, you know, they're they're driving a Lyft, they're they're Grubhub, whatever it is in your town that makes things happen, and they're being pushed towards gig economy. And let's talk very very quickly about that because gig economy doesn't necessarily have a forty hour limit. On top of that, it doesn't necessarily have benefits. You work when you want or however hard that you want. We are now creating a class of people that are meant to serve middle class and upper class needs, right? Oh, I'm so busy with my tech job. I'm so busy with my information job. Let's have somebody run me my McDonald's or my Wendy's. We're going to move to the point where like these gig jobs are what start working at a McDonald's, where all of a sudden you go into McDonald's for five hours and you know, you drop fries. And, 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 and by the way, quality will suffer, but so will safety. And you'll start losing benefits. You'll start losing any of the, these structured things that we're talking about. 
we are pushing further and further towards a feudal state. And that is why we're seeing this current moment after this pandemic is where people are being forced into these situations. They're unhappy. They're being mistreated. There is going to be a correction. The question is, what will that correction be? And we need to figure this out before automation runs people out of the workplace in totality. It's not going to solve mistreatment. It's only going to exacerbate it. So we have like a ton of shit on our on our plate that has to be addressed. And, and people can't even wrap their heads around that fact, like how much actually needs to be done here in the next few years. Well, we're going to continue talking about this. Um, I, I don't know about you, Nick. I'm, I'm, in, I'm emboldened by these strikes. How do you feel about this? Oh, solidarity forever. Solidarity, absolutely. And anybody who listens to the Mike Craig podcast, if you are striking, drop us a note. Let us know. You have our utmost support. Uh, we're very, very proud of you. Make sure to let these people know that they cannot mistreat you and, uh, and, and exploit you. Uh, we will be back on Friday with our Weekender episode. If you want access to that and other additional content, go over to patreon.com slash muckrakepodcast. Uh, we missed Nick last week, but uh, how, to- How you do an hour straight on your own, we listened to, I, I was driving, I listened to it, and it's still, um, when, you're, when you start your cult and everybody starts <laughs> following you, this is what it feels like when you listen to the one man hour pod, really. Uh, I'll come visit, I'll come visit the cults on like the I, clothing optional days and we'll have fun. But man, Listen, I don't know how you do that. I, I grew up in a, I grew up in a cult. I don't I don't need to be part of a cult. I <laughs> I, I listen. I I I appreciate that, and I appreciate the kindness. Uh, no, I just decided if we were going to talk about social media, we had to go back to the dawning of civil society. So that's what we did. Yeah. So if you if you haven't listened to that yet, in order to understand uh, a lot of what's going on with uh, big tech and where we're going, particularly with neo feudalism, uh, go and listen to that episode. That's patreon.com slash muckrake podcast. We'll be back with the weekender, which uh, it'll be nice to to be able to loosen the tie a little bit, let it all hang out and hang out with my good friend Nick. If you need us before then, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Sexton. Solidarity. Stay safe, everyone.